I would say most of us in this room would say we know about God. It's probably a fair statement. Maybe a lesser percentage of the people in this room would say we know God. And maybe still a lesser percentage would say that we not only know about God and know God personally, but that we experience his presence and his power in our lives. All of those are important. And maybe that's kind of a normal continuum as you first come to Christ and you understand the message of salvation and you come into this relationship with God. That you then aren't just knowing about him mentally, but you're knowing him at a heart level and your mind's being renewed and you're starting to walk with God. And then that we would walk not only with an understanding, with a heart change, but an experience of God by the power of his Holy Spirit every day. And I don't know where you are on that kind of continuum, but I know what God wants for us because his word's very clear. He wants us to understand and have our minds renewed by his truth. He wants us to be filled with his spirit so that we can experience his very presence. And he wants us to understand that we don't live this Christian life by our own strength or power, but by his. So that's what this morning is all about. It's part two in a teaching called A Spirit-Empowered Life, which is part of our series that we're in, Fanning the Flame, the Joys of Spiritual Formation. Because it's about being spiritually formed to the image of Christ, right? It's about receiving truth, knowing that it's changing us. It's not just mental agreement. It's not checking a box, coming to church. It's not just building a knowledge base. It's getting to really know this God and his truth and having it so impact us that Christ is being formed in us. And if he is, there's going to be fruit that gets born in our lives and through our lives to impact his world and people that may not yet know him. So that's what this morning is all about. It's a continuation of being formed in the image of Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, a spirit-empowered life. But really for today to make sense, since it's part two, you have to know what we covered last week. And if you were here, it's going to be a little review real quick. And if you weren't, I'll bring you up to speed real quick, okay? So here's one slide that shows you what we covered last week, the truths of what the Holy Spirit does in us, in us. And then the other four points today will be what he does through us, okay? But first, from last week, the Holy Spirit births me into God's family. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we repent or turn from our sin and turn to God and are baptized in the name of Christ, knowing we're asking him to forgive us of our sin and come into our life, he does. <laughs> and he comes into us by the person and through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift and never to leave. And that's where, that's the second point. And the Holy Spirit dwells in me and seals me for eternity. Ephesians 1.14 says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Not only does the Spirit visit us, empower us, but he comes in to dwell and never to leave. We really have to understand that. You're sealed. You're marked by God as his own. You have an identity now that will never change. You're no longer under condemnation. You're under the freedom and the blessing and the forgiveness and the grace and empowering of God and he proves that to us through his word by saying his Holy Spirit now lives in us, a gift of God never to leave you. He always lives in us, sealing us for what is to come, our inheritance in him, and a life together with God and those who love him for all eternity. 
The third point from last week, the Holy Spirit guides me into all truth and glorifies Christ. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth and he will glorify me. Jesus spoke those words. So he's saying, I'm going to leave, but guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to come. Unless I leave, he can't come. I go to the right hand of the Father, I send the Holy Spirit to live in you, seal you, dwell in you, and keep leading you to truth. All the truth that Jesus taught and the truth that comes by walking in the power of the Spirit. And it will glorify Christ always. The Holy Spirit always lifting up Christ and bringing about his image in you and in me more and more. And then lastly, that the Holy Spirit would grow godly character in me. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wouldn't you love that to mark your life and more and more? Like those qualities? That's who the Spirit of God is, and he lives in you. So he's just trying to get you <laughs> to cooperate with what he's trying to do, which is to bring about those qualities by his power. Pretty amazing. Now that whole passage in Galatians 5, read it starting in 16 and beyond because it's such a powerful teaching about how to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And he's leading us by his Spirit to walk in the Spirit, cooperating with his Spirit so that his fruit can be born in our life. And it will be born in your life if you're walking in the Spirit. There's, it's not optional. You can walk in the flesh and it won't, or you can choose to walk in the Spirit and it will. It's black and white. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral. There's no, well, I'm just doing my own thing, just chilling, and I know I don't have much of God over here. No, you're in the flesh then. But when you say, oh, I don't want to live in the flesh by myself and being self-focused and self-indulgent and self, and self, 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 I want to live by the Spirit of God, then guess what? He's going to bring about his fruit in you. Okay, that's, the, that's like the foundation of what we're going to build on today. That's what he did in you, all those promises of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, what he wants to do through you. The first point is this. The Holy Spirit should be fanned into flame, not quenched or grieved. 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. The Holy Spirit of God is not intimidated. The Holy Spirit of God is not timid. The Holy Spirit of God is not fearful. He's God. But he lives in you. And you go, but I get to be, I'm timid a lot and I fear things. And I get afraid that that'll happen at work and that person will say something or I won't recover from this or this illness will be. And I can get afraid. But you have the power of God through his spirit in you so that you don't have to live or stay there. What a promise that is. I mean, I don't have to be a timid person. No. You say, oh, well, that's my personality. No, it's not. You have the power of the Holy Spirit you get to experience self-control, love, and power. God's power in you. That's transforming power. That's not stay the same for five years or 15 years or 35 years as a Christian power. This is constantly transforming power of God who created the universe by speaking it into existence. He wants to bring new creative things about in your life. How does he do that? When you cooperate with him and you fan into flame, to use the metaphor that Paul gives us here, to fan in the flame of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cooperating, recognizing he lives where? Out in the world somewhere? No, in me. He can speak to me. He can prompt me. He can convict me. He can lead me. Yes. 
and he'll bring about wonderful changes as he does that. But you don't just look at the flame and go, oh, that's cool. Hey, I learned that the Holy Spirit lives in me. You have a job to do. You have a calling. You're being invited to fan that flame, that truth of the Spirit into this great fire, right? You people, you've heard people say, oh man, that guy's so on fire for the Lord. What do they mean by that? You just kind of see, oh man, I see God all over that guy or that gal or man, Jesus. Well, that's really what it means is just the Holy Spirit has kind of taken residence and taken over and you see a lot of Jesus in them. He continues, Paul. Paul makes a big deal about this all through scripture and so we have four different places we're looking at this morning. First Thessalonians 5.19, do not Say it with me. Do not quench the spirit. If you were to quench a flame or a fire, what would you be doing? Give me an example of quenching a fire. You douse it with a bucket of water. You cover it with a blanket. Get your big old boots on it. You just go stamp it out. You're trying to leave no trace of a flame. Just the opposite of that should be true with you and me. Don't quench the spirit. The spirit wants to burst into flame in our life and become more and more our focus and bring about Christ-likeness in us. We can choose self. We can choose to function in fear and not in love. Well, I don't know if they'll receive it. Oh, I don't really know if they need it. Or someone else could do it better than us. No, just go love them. Don't be timid and hold back. The Holy Spirit is prompting you to love or serve that person in some way. So you do what? You just obey. You just do it. Then all of a sudden you say, wow, I had self-control to not do the other thing, to put the love of God into action by his power. And that's not quenching the spirit. That's fanning the flame, letting his influence shine through you, letting the beauty of Christ and who he is to you and in you shine through. It's like not being a bowler. Anyone bowling here? Okay, it's not a trick question. <laughs> I'm not talking about the bowling kind with pins and a lane. And have you ever slipped on those greasy lanes? Anyway, um, it's not pretty when you do. I'm talking about do you bowl up the light of God that's in you, the Holy Spirit that's in you, the light of Christ that's in you. Remember when Jesus gave that parable? He said, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be like a lamp. You have the light of Christ in your life, but you put a bowl over it. You're hiding it under a basket. That doesn't make any sense. Might as well just put the light out. Why do you, why'd you light it? Why were you lit in Christ with the hope and power of the Holy Spirit? It's so you can light the room, right? Don't be a bowler. <laughs> be someone who would choose to let the Spirit of God be fanned into full flame. Don't quench it. And he goes on in Ephesians. This is Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus and to us. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we're not supposed to quench the Spirit and we're not supposed to, what's the key word here? Grieve the Spirit. The person. You can't grieve a force or a thing. It's the person of God through the Spirit lives in you. You don't quench him or grieve him. Make him sad. He's with you always. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and, that's, and you're sealed, so he never leaves us. So our choices or our thoughts or our words or our actions can grieve him. That wouldn't be wise to grieve the Holy Spirit who's trying to bring about blessing and impact through our lives and give us peace 
to take away fears and anxieties and give us that settled confidence in him. And he says the way you're going to grieve the Spirit is by being bitter, wrathful, anger, angry, to slander people, to have malice going on in your life. You're going to be quenching and grieving his Spirit. Do the opposite of that, which is what? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. He never asks us to do something he hasn't first done for us. He would never ask us to do something we couldn't do by the power of his spirit. Yes, we can fall into being angry and clamoring and slandering and having malice and all of that bitterness, a root of bitterness in her heart. Or we can choose by the power of the spirit to live with kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. Just like Jesus lavishes on us. He pours it out on us. You're a recipient of his grace every day, not just the one time you ask Christ to come into your life, Lord and Savior, and he did, but every day he lavishes understanding and wisdom and grace and mercy on us. He says, now just give that to other people and you'd be walking in the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit should be fanned into flame, not quenched or grieved. And like Ephesians 5.18 says, to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So the Apostle Paul here says, you know, be filled. Like, that's that sense of like, don't, don't keep them down. Don't grieve them. Don't quench them. Be full. Let the Holy Spirit have full reign, full control of all areas of your life. That's what it would mean. It's not like you get filled up like a, like a gas tank, like I need to be topped off by the Spirit. No, he's in you. Is he just have full control? That's what he's saying. To be full of the Holy Spirit, it means it's just he has full control. And it's like he's coming out. He's literally changing the way you respond to others in tenderness and forgiveness and kindness. And you're going, wow, that's, that person's so full of the Spirit. They're so cooperative with what the Spirit wants to bring about. And it's very clear in, these, in this verse in Ephesians 5.18. You know what else happens? You start singing. You start singing. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're just going, no, 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 not me. And you wouldn't want to hear my voice. And actually, that's how you are maybe even during worship. You don't sing. You do. When the Holy Spirit starts filling you and exciting you with a passion for who God is and what Christ did for you, and you know you've been rescued from eternity apart from God and punishment because of your sin, you've been rescued from hell and brought into his wonderful light. When you know that, that you know that, that you know that, your heart changes. If you don't know it, and it hasn't happened, your heart hasn't changed. It may be why you don't sing, or why you don't carry a melody in your heart, or why you're always heavy and depressed and always sort of, you know, the, the phrase like half empty, half full, like, you know, you see the glass, and it's, it's kind of a bitterness or a criticalness or a, a, a downness, a heaviness, a sadness. I would challenge you, have you ever accepted Christ and know that you did? Because he said, if you confess your sin... And call on the name of Jesus and are baptized. He'll give you the gift of the Spirit. And the gift of the Spirit is joy. It is. It's, that's who he is. It's not just what he gives. It's who he is if he's in you and more and more and more and more full, like you're letting him do more of what he wants. You got psalms. You got spiritual songs coming out. You're speaking, as he says, in psalms and hymns, truths to one another. You're speaking about what you know about God, what you've learned in church, what you learned in your devotional time, 
You know, your time in God's word, you're, you're actually speaking it out. It's coming out your lips. You find yourself humming. You find yourself whistling. You find yourself repeating the choruses you heard. You find yourself going like, uh, yeah, give me a Christian station. Why? Because there's something going on in you by the power of the Spirit that's changing you. And the reason I'm so insistent on that is because he goes to great lengths saying, this is what it kind of looks like. That person really is full of joy. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their heart. There's something that's changed in your heart. Has it changed you in your heart? If not, say, God, I don't know if it's impacted my heart. I've understood the truths up here, but it hasn't dropped 18 inches down on my heart. It's not coming out with passion or with joy or with, like, I'm too nervous about people hearing me sing. I'm too nervous about, you mean like when you're in public, if someone heard you whistle or hum or sing? Yeah, yes. That's what he's talking about. It comes out. So you just go like, why don't? Some of you right now are like looking at me cross-eyed going like, okay, you know what you do with that? You just tell God. You just tell God. You say, God, that doesn't happen much in me. But you know what? If that's what your spirit does and that's who he is, I could use a a little more joy. I could use a little more singing I should have a melody in my heart about your goodness, your great, you know, I should be so grateful for you. I don't know why I'm so reserved. Why am I so uptight? Why do I try to hold it in? Why, why am I not, what's the word? Why am I not free? It's a good question to ask God. If you don't feel free in him to express your love and your gratitude and your joy, just say, God, help me. He loves you so dearly. He doesn't condemn you. None of what I said should ever feel like condemnation. It should just feel like, huh. It should just make you in your heart go like this. Huh. What's that verse again? Huh. i got to pray about that. <laughs> That's good. That would be great for all of us just to take that deeply. The Holy Spirit can be fanned into flame, not quenched or grieved. And if that happens, all of a sudden... We see the tenderness and the love and the grace and the compassion and the joy and the singing and all that. It starts to happen in our life. And you go, wow, that was, that was not me. That just isn't me. Then I'd say, exactly. Exactly. It's not you. It's who? Who? It's the Holy Spirit. That's right. Now we're getting it. Okay, that's the first point. It gets better. <laughs> These build, they're awesome. Okay, second point. The Holy Spirit gives me spiritual gifts to serve others. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Once we place our faith in Christ and are born again by His Spirit, which is the only way to know God by his spirit that comes and lives in us. He comes in to stay and seal us. Then he's up to something. He's not going to waste your time. Let's not waste his. He wants to manifest himself through your life. How does he do that? One of the key ways is he gives you spiritual gifts to serve other people in the body. I love this about God. He's given you a supernatural ability that you didn't get for yourself. 
You actually didn't even pick it for yourself. He picked it for you, as he determined, Scripture says in Hebrews 2 and in 1 Corinthians 12. He decided there's a variety of different gifts, but the same Lord, different activities, but by the same power, by the power of the Spirit, and you have been gifted by God. And he wants you to serve other people in the body or through a ministry in the community even and build up the body of Christ. You've been gifted by God supernaturally to build up others in their walk. And some of you may say, well, I, I need to be built up, built up in my walk. You're right. That's what's going on right now, isn't it? I hope so, because I'm using my gift. <laughs> I hope it's going on. So you're getting built up in this setting for a few minutes through my gifting, and you'll go out here and be built up by someone else's gifting as they serve you by bringing you donuts, or your kids are being built up by others that are serving and teaching and loving your kids in Sunday school, so you can be in here learning and being built up, but then you go out and you serve in a life group or in that ministry or in youth group or wherever, or you build up using your gift of exhortation with your spouse or with a friend, so you know your gifts and you're out serving the body, and they know their gifts and they're serving you and everyone else in your row. And what happens to all of us if we would all do that? What happens? You're going to be made strong in the Lord and so am I. It's going to be a strong prevailing church that we get to be a part of. That's what happens. By the power of the Spirit, through the gifts he's placed in you and in you and in you and in you and everyone who knows Christ in this room. And you'll have an ability that's not your own. It's from the Spirit of God to serve other people. Now, if I asked you, do you know your spiritual gifts? A lot of people would say no. So I want you to write this down. Write it on your paper, write it on your arm, write it on your neighbor's arm, okay? Whatever. These are the passages, because Paul was very clear about spiritual gifts. He said, I don't want any of you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So I can't do anything else but to tell you what he told them. He's telling us, and I'm in the role, I don't want you guys to be ignorant of your spiritual gifts. So I'm off the hook, because you're not going to be ignorant. Here are the passages you're going to go look up at home, aren't you? <laughs> you ready? 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. 1 Corinthians, 12. Romans, 12. 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. 1 Peter 4. and Ephesians. Okay. So you're going to go home, and you're going to read these, and you're going to see all the spiritual gifts listed there, and you're going to go, Whoa! I had no idea. There's like 19 or 20. I don't even know what they all mean exactly. But I'm in there. I'm in there somewhere. Gifts like these. From 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4. Leadership, helps, teaching, evangelism, prophecy, mercy, generosity, administration, tongues, healing, pastoring, exhortation, knowledge, wisdom, faith. And that's not even all of them. And somewhere in there, God's given you one or two or maybe a combination of those gifts. And what does he want you to do with them? First of all, learn them. Learn what they are. Start finding a place to serve in your life group on a Sunday morning or in a ministry somewhere and just jump in. Just literally go, I, but I love kids. Great, jump in with kids. I don't know, I'm just, I, I tend to like gather people and want to take them from point A to point B, probably leadership. I don't know, I just love doing anything vaccines. Give me a broom, give me some chairs and tables. I just love setting up. I just, I'd rather be doing that than anything else. Probably the gift of service or helps. See how easy this is? 
we're not going to be ignorant anymore. Not one person in this room is going to be ignorant about spiritual gifts ever again. Because you're going to go home and read those afters, okay? But it's about understanding God's supernaturally gifted. If I told you you have this awesome gift waiting at home, and it's in your living room, you probably would, and I guarantee you, it's really, really, really awesome and really good. I had a family member unlock your door and put it there for you. You're going to drive home, and you're going to go to your living room, and you're going to unwrap that thing and see if what I'm saying is true. Aren't you? You wouldn't just go like, ah, that was just a message at church. <laughs> you just, he was exaggerating. He just gets excited. Gordy does that sometimes. No, I'd say, if he's telling me the truth in that, and I walk in and there's a gift, I will go unwrap that. And I'll be thrilled because this is the way the gifts are. You'll be thrilled by what God gives you. And you go, me? Yes, you. Because you've been gifted by God in those areas. Then you just go, but where? What? How? I... And you know what? You talk to a pastor, you talk to a ministry leader, you talk to your family, you talk to a good friend in Christ. Just say, I, I don't, I think I might be good. Okay, great, yeah, jump, help me. I kind of serve in that area. Come help me. I know this goes on at church. I know that life group. Are you in a life group? Get in a life group. Start using your gifts in a life group. Permission, freedom, exploration, right? Experimenting, and the Holy Spirit will lead, lead you. For the purpose of the common good, meaning the church being built up, other people being built up. The greatest thing about this is you're going to have a blast. You'll be empowered by the Spirit because the gift comes from Him. You'll do it supernaturally well. And most of all, it's others-focused. How many things do you do in your life that have nothing to do with you getting some kind of bang for your buck out of it? Something coming back to you. Well, they'll say thank you and I'll feel better about myself. Not self-focused. Spiritual gifts are outward-focused. You'll serve others, and you'll be thrilled doing it. And you know what happens when you use your gifts? I've heard this so many times I can't even remember. When people use their gifts, and they come back and tell me about it, who gets more filled up? The person serving others or the one being served? Typically, the ones that come back so pumped are the ones that actually were using their gifts serving. They feel alive in Christ. They feel like, oh, it's just Christ. And yeah, there's impact on others, but it's so funny how you don't get drained you get filled up when you use your gifts. That's what Galatians 5, 1 and 13 talk about. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self, for flesh, you, your agenda, your everything, but through love, serve one another in love. Through love, serve one another. So you've been freed up by Christ. He's forgiven you of your sin. You're no longer under condemnation. You'll never be under condemnation ever, ever again. You lived under condemnation before you came into Christ. Did you know that? You were living under that. The Holy Spirit convicted you that you were condemned because of your sin. But you were convicted that there's a holy God that forgave you of your sin and came into your life and sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You'll never be under condemnation again, ever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ever, never, never. You will be under conviction. Oh, that's what that is, yeah. You do that, you say that, you think that. You, oh, it's like, oh, that, was, that doesn't honor God. What am I doing? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're not under his condemnation. You're not under God's condemnation. Who took your condemnation? Jesus, where did he take it? Did he say the work was finished at the cross or just halfway done? Did he say you'd get a little condemnation as you went through life when you messed up? As you fumbled your way along, as every Christian does, we just keep getting a little bit of condemnation from God to make sure you're motivated? Yes or no? No, he said it was finished. It was done. You're no longer under condemnation ever again. 
that freedom that you feel, and you should celebrate it, it should be the greatest thing in your life. I'm not under condemnation. This holy God accepts me, loves me completely. It'll be that way forever and ever. Yes. In that freedom, what do you do? Man, you're just like so pumped. You're just like, who can I serve? Who can I tell about this love? So they can have it too. I don't got to get all warped and wrapped up in myself and confused and guilty and condemned and shameful. It's like, wait, that was all taken. Now, in this freedom, I can fight sin because I have the power of the Spirit. And now I can go out and serve one another in love. You're free to love. You're free to learn. You're free to discover. You're free to use your spiritual gifts. And I pray that you would. That's the Holy Spirit living in you and through you. Third point, the Holy Spirit helps me as I pray for others. Got to take a breath. <sighs> Romans 8:26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you ever get stuck or stumped when you're praying? Anyone want to agree with me on that one? Ever get stumped or stuck or you don't know what to pray and you just, sometimes you just stop or you just go like, ah, I don't even know if these words, I can't even put it into words or, well, that sounded dumb even as I said it, God. Or, you know, you're just like, was that the right thing? And sometimes, are you listening? You're probably like focusing on someone way more holy than me. I don't know what you think about when you pray, but I know that's pretty typical. I don't even know if these words are getting through the ceiling. Is he really hearing me? Does God really answer prayer? What difference does prayer make? So if you find yourself there, you just need to ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you with your weakness. And many, many Christians, most Christians, feel weak when it comes to prayer. So join the club. Don't beat yourself up. You're not under condemnation, remember? I just told you that five minutes ago. You're free. So you can freely admit Oh, yeah, I don't pray that much. I often feel what Gordy just described. I get stuck, I get sidetracked, I don't even think God really answers my prayers anyway. So what's the point? Jesus said, I will help you by the power of my spirit that lives in you. I will groan for you. My best prayers usually start with words and end in tears. How about you? I can't get the words out. When someone's really on your heart and you're praying for them and you're really hurt for them, and your focus is not on you, it's on someone else, it doesn't take long before your heart's broken for them and what they're going through, right? You start with words and it usually ends in tears. And that's good. Has that ever happened to you? Do you pray ever, ever with tears and groans? Then it, you kind of know the Spirit's breaking through. Instead of, well, I got to say it the right way and it's all measured and engineered and I present my request to God and he must, and, you know, it's all that. It's just like, where's the passion? Where's the brokenness? Where are the tears? Where, where's the real heart behind? He doesn't know the Lord God and he needs to know you. He's blown up his life. He's about to lose his marriage, lose his family, lose his health, lose whatever. And you care enough to pray passionately. Do you? Do you want to? All you have to do if you want what I just described, even if you go, that's not me, Gordy. I just, I don't know, I've ever prayed like that. Do you want to? Do you want to call out and pour out your heart like David does in the Psalms? Do you want to be that guy or that gal that just really, I'm going to passionately really pray for people and mean it. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me because I feel that weakness of not knowing what to say. I'll start with the words and let the tears take over. I'll start with the words and 
Maybe I'm going to groan and just feel an ache for someone and just, just be speaking from my mind to God's heart. And that's good too. And you just go, wow, God, you've heard me. Then you get up in confidence and you thank the Lord and you go on your day. How do you learn about prayer? You have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You go to like, um, the men pray every Saturday. It's 7 o'clock now. It's, they gave us a half hour, so instead of 6.30, 7 to 7.30, okay? Heard that at the men's breakfast. So guys, 7 to 7.30, the guys pray. It's a way you can come and learn how to pray and pray with some other guys. Start developing that passion for prayer. You can come on Sunday night. Every Sunday night, 5 to 6 o'clock, we pray here. And anyone can come to that. And you can come and listen. You can come and participate. You can come learn how to build a passion and let the Holy Spirit grow you as a person of prayer. One thing I know for sure, a lot of people don't pray or don't, aren't interested, but then they don't ever do anything about it. They don't ask God to change it. The best thing you could ever do is just admit the obvious and go, but I know it would be good. I, I know I'd like to be able to pray more confidently and more comfortably with others. I'd, I'd like to be able to do that. I'd like to... Like, but I, I feel so far out there. And I want to tell you, oh no, it's like literally right in front of you. You just have to take a step of faith. In a singles ministry that I ran a number of years ago, probably 20, 25 years ago now, um, we were talking about prayer and I said, you know, why don't we just pray like whenever we feel like it? <laughs> like all the time. Why don't we just, we're in a conversation, someone's hurting, you hear something about a job and they're kind of tweaked and upset about it, why don't you just say like, hey, and so what else happened, blah, blah, blah. Can we pray about that? I'd like to pray for you right now. You know what started to happen all around? Oh, this is what it was, Phil. Phil and Melissa, were you there those days when we did that? Do you remember what that was like? When people would just gather, they'd say, oh, okay, well, why don't we just pray? Out in the parking lot, at the restaurant, is where we're there at 11 o'clock at night after we'd meet, eating these dill pickles and coffee and then whatever else. They didn't go together, I know, it was weird. Ice cream sundaes, anyway. But I mean, it was happening all over the place. Why? Because we actually just gave all of ourselves permission to pray at any time we wanted to. Oh, wait, you mean we're not, are we in a church building somewhere? Is there a Bible nearby? <laughs> Do I have the right exact words? Is this person going to receive it? Do I know that they're going to be really happy that I just asked them? All you do is just say like, wow, thanks for sharing that. It seems heavy. I remember something in my life. You might say something. But could we, can I pray for you about that? And then you have to get really nervous because you have to pray for five minutes long with the perfect words. So you should feel really nervous because it has to be just, no, you just say, so God, I'm praying for John right now and I just pray you'd calm his heart as he's without work. And Lord, we just pray for a miracle of your provision at the perfect time. But I pray he'd know your presence and know that you're going to provide because you're a loving heavenly father who always does. You did it for me, Lord. Do it for John. How long did that take me? 30 seconds max. You know what usually happens when I do that for people? And I've never been turned on yet. I probably need to ask more people that are outside my comfort zone too. I'm realizing that. And see if I ever get rejected because I should push that a little more. Because I've never been rejected. You know what I usually find when I look up into people's eyes? What do I usually find? Tears. Why? Tell me why. Because you care. You stop the whole world for that person and you let your heart lift and encourage them and lift them to God. And it literally cost you 30 seconds, but it cost you faith. You had to trust the Holy Spirit. You had to get past your fear of, I wonder how it'll sound to that a person if I'll find the right words or I'll stumble along or did I misquote that verse? I, maybe I shouldn't even have used a verse. Oh, nah, nah. <laughs> Just pray. 
Just your heart to God for that person. Anyway, it was one of the great blessings of that ministry, and I remember it to this day. And I hope we're, we become that kind of church more and more. On the spot prayer, right then. At the cafe, in the parking lot, with the person you're sitting next to, when you're at work, with a family member, with your spouse. You know what Julie and I do that's really fun? Most nights after we eat dinner, we get coffee, and we just sit and we have these two blue chairs in our little den living room area. We just do ping pong prayer. We'll read something or listen to a podcast. And most times, if I don't fall asleep during the podcast, no, I just... It's just, you know, you close your eyes, and it's just so perfect. And, you know. Anyway, Casey and I says, Anyway, so what we do is, because um, Tim Keller's awesome, but his voice is so deep and soothing. Anyway, Tim Keller, listen to Tim Keller's messages. It's so good. Anyway, my point was what? Okay, prayer. So ping pong prayer. We'll just start to pray. Really long, perfect prayers with long, extended pauses. And no. She just starts praying for whoever is on her heart. And then she hits the ping pong ball over to me and I pray for someone. I don't go long. She doesn't go long. Why? Because we're trying to just pray together. And what she might pray inspires me to add to that. Like, oh yeah, Lord. And I just pray that blah, blah, blah. Or they meant, she mentioned someone's in the family. That reminds me of someone else in the family pray for. Or she's praying for someone that's dealing with some horrific illness situation. That reminds me of someone else dealing with that. And we ping pong prayer. Sometimes it lasts five, eight minutes. Sometimes it goes 20 or 30 minutes. Who determines how long it is? Holy Spirit. What if we miss? What if we miss tonight? Remember, you're free in Christ. See, isn't it weird how weird we get in our, yeah, but how do you do it? Like, do you just say, hey, why don't we pray for a minute? Hey, you were just mentioning uh, Aunt Sue. Why don't we just, I'll just pray for her. And then you pray briefly. It's always best to pray briefly. Trust me on that. Don't even impress them. Doesn't even look. God knows the details. Pray from your heart. Blunt, brief, boom. Let her respond if she wants to. Pray about something. Something else will come up. She'll pray. She prays briefly. Boom, you're back. Ping pong. Enjoy it. I mean, literally enjoy it. It's a blast. And there's power in united prayer. How do you learn about prayer? You go to Saturday morning with the guys. You come Sunday night with anyone from the church that wants to come. That's our corporate prayer time. You pray with your spouse like that. You pray with a friend. You pray in your life group. And you just grow. All you have to do is just say, I want to become that. More and more and more. I want to learn to pray with my spouse. So guys, I'm going to challenge you as the spiritual leader. Raise the spiritual temperature in your home by praying with your spouse and with your kids. Do it. Do it. Step out in faith. Trust the Holy Spirit who lives in you. It's his power, not your own. Amen? Okay. So we're going to become a people of prayer that pray for others. And you know what? I heard this at the men's breakfast. It was awesome. I was telling Mark about this. A guy named Ward. Are you here, Ward? Ward's probably, I don't know, a good 20 years older than I am, and he was just sharing his story. And, um, and he said, well, one thing I discovered about prayer, he goes, you know, God knows it all anyway. And so instead of like always just telling him all the things I need, he knows them. I find that it's just better to praise him and thank him. What a great reminder. Instead of like, well, excuse me, God, I have a grocery list. <laughs> You're still awake, God? All right, it's like, all about me, and I need this and comfort, and that was so hard at work, and God, I get that, but who already knows all that? Pray for other people. I don't have to challenge you to pray for yourself, I don't think. <laughs> I think that's kind of automatic. But give those things to God, but really start having a heart to pray for others, and pray that the Holy Spirit will free you up to thank Him and praise Him and put your focus on others. 
And watch how God will answer the prayers in your own life for yourself by putting your focus on him and other people. The Holy Spirit will help you as you pray for others. Ephesians 6 says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Supplication means basically to beg, earnestly, humbly ask God and keep asking, being persistent. 1 Thessalonians, pray continually, even when I'm driving. Yeah, don't close your eyes, but yes. If you can do it, if God's always with you and his spirit lives in you, you can talk to him literally all the time, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Sometimes out loud, sometimes not. Doesn't matter. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. Continue to pray. Learn to pray for others. Learn to pray with others. Lastly, the Holy Spirit gives me the power to witness to others. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with his power from heaven. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So last week in Acts chapter 2, we read that story of when God, in obedience, right, they were obedient and waited and God honored them and poured out his Holy Spirit on the disciples. And there was the sound of a mighty wind, remember, and the, the image of these Tongues of fire, interesting. Fan into flame, the gift of God in you, the, the tongues of fire resting each on, on their heads. Peter steps up because they're going, what? You know, people that were, were not, were watching it, that, that weren't the disciples, they're going, what is going on? This is obviously supernatural. What in the world? Are these people drunk? They were speaking in other languages they didn't know so they could declare the truths of God in these other languages of people that were there in Jerusalem for Pentecost. But they're like, they were confused. Peter stands up, he makes sense of it. He has his first sermon and he explains how Jesus came to bring salvation and forgiveness of sin. They were convicted. They said, what do we do? What did he say? That's where that first verse came in the beginning of the teaching, Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's what was going on. Joel 2 was being fulfilled. And he goes, and you, and speaking to the crowd now, Right, Jesus can forgive you of your sins. So he gave the gospel. How many of them came to Christ at that first sermon of Peter? 3,000. So 3,000 plus the original disciples that were then filled with the Spirit. Peter then filled with the Spirit, spoke that first sermon. 3,000 came to faith in Christ, and it got better than that. They started loving God and loving each other powerfully. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to some things. To what? Remember Acts 2.42? Fellowship, breaking of bread, the apostles' teaching, and prayer. Prayer. They devoted themselves to those things. They were all about that. They would get in together in each other's homes. They would pray there. They would pray in the temple. And, and they would keep giving and serving one another using their spiritual gifts. In fact, when Peter and John were on the, on the way to the temple to pray... There was a lame man who called out on them for gold and silver, and they said, gold and silver, we have none, but what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed, and that man stood up. He was healed on the spot. Whoa! Okay, so now you're like, okay, power, right? The Holy Spirit. Well, the crowd, you know, the, the religious leaders didn't like that. They felt threatened. So the temple guards arrested Peter and John, demanded that they stop the preaching in this name, this name of Jesus because it was stirring the people up, and they obviously felt like they were going to lose control over people. 
They threatened him, threw him into prison. Then they finally released him. They couldn't beat him because they knew the crowd was so, so stirred up in a good way over what God was doing. And they, he was using Peter and John. They couldn't beat him, so they just threatened him like crazy. And then they let him go. Peter and John went home to the disciples and told them exactly what had happened. And guess what they did? All the disciples of Peter and John started to pray. And you might go like, well, duh. <laughs> yeah, but they did. There are a lot of things we go, oh, well, duh. But we actually don't do them. We go, oh, I know that. I, I know that's true. We actually don't. They did it. And this was their prayer, Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Would that have been your prayer? I might have been praying for something like a relocation. <laughs> God, is there someone somewhere outside of Jerusalem maybe? Or, you know, if we could just really pray that all those people that threatened us would die overnight, that'd be awesome. If, you know, and like, what would you be praying? We're going to wake up and go face all those same kinds of people, the temple guards and everyone else. What was their prayer? Tell me what their prayer was. You just heard me read it. They asked for what? Boldness in the Holy Spirit. What were they given? After God shook the house because he said, good prayer. <laughs> Great prayer. Exactly what I, I'll shake the house so they won't ever forget that. Then they were given unshakable faith and boldness to go share Christ. And we're told that people continued to come to Christ and the church continued to grow. We don't have to be fearful. We can face whatever threat and even death by the power of the Holy Spirit. People do it all the time around this world. We just don't know of them unless we read about them. And there's plenty to read. Voice of the Martyrs and others. Persecution.org, I think. You can read all about people that are persecuted and give their life and faithfulness to Christ. So whether you live or die, we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit and be bold with the gospel and the love of Christ. If we want to. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Any enemy, any spirit, any evil spirit of Satan himself is not greater than who lives in you. That's the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have fear. You might fall into fear, but you can pray that the Holy Spirit would give you that boldness, the power, love, and self-control. And he will. If you ever would face having to give your life for the sake of Christ, you will be given the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. And Scripture says you'll be given the words right then when you need it. You don't have to fear. You will be able to do it by His power, just like they did. They're no different than you. These were young, baby Christians, but they were filled with the power of the Spirit and they knew it and they were willing to take a stand for Christ and they were witnessing and people were coming to Christ. Are we willing to step out in faith like that? Even Paul said there was trembling and weakness in his humanity, yet he understood that his power was really the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of what? Read it. In the demonstration of 
the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Oh, it's not on the screen. That's why I didn't know. <laughs> I'm like, can't they read? Anyway, that wasn't your fault back there. I didn't give you that verse. He understood his power was in the gospel, Christ and him crucified, and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't his pers per persuasive words. I can't even spit it out. <laughs> he trembled and felt weak in himself, but in the spirit he was strong. You and I are the same way. He told Timothy, don't be timid. Don't shrink back. You have the spirit in living in you. Be bold. Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, now you can read it, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You carry the message that can rescue someone for all eternity. You carry it. You know it. It's changed you. Will you ever tell anyone? Oh, I don't know. It makes me really nervous. Great. Join the club. But now you have, now you know how to overcome by the power of the Spirit that lives in you. You pray, you ask for the boldness, and he'll give it to you. And then you'll run into someone that you'll realize, here it is. Here's my opportunity today. Here's how I can love. Here's a word I can share. Here's someone I can just say, like, I oh, know I can't do that. Yeah, go to church. So you go to church? Where do you go to church? Oh, Cornerstone. Really? Is that in town here? Boom, there's your opportunity. You didn't even know it was going to be there. You just trust the Lord for the good works to walk into. He'll give them to you. It's a huge relief to realize that the Holy Spirit partners with you and does the heavy lifting. Sometimes we get very nervous because we think, oh man, I'm not the kind of person that can really convince people and I don't want to twist their arms and beat them over the head or be obnoxious or get into heated debates or argue with them until the cows come home. By the way, when do the cows come home? I didn't know if any of you knew. I mean, I know when you spring forward, you fall back. I just don't know when the cows come home. Someone told me in the lobby, they'd just go like, when the dinner bell rings, duh. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But we think, oh, we're going to have to twist and bang and cajole and, until the cows come home. It's like, no, you don't. You wait for God's opportunities and you speak with boldness. You love and serve without saying anything in boldness because you'd rather be home and doing something else for yourself. You know, in the Holy Spirit's boldness, you serve them. In the Holy Spirit's boldness, you can share about what God has done for you in your life. Look at this verse. It convinces us of that, right? John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. That's a powerful helper. He's convincing people around you, you just don't know who they are yet, of their sin, just like he did you, that you need a savior, that the judgment that will judge the enemy, Satan, no longer will judge you, that you have a father who sent his son and his son covers you. That's the righteousness. Judgment's been taken care of and you're no longer under condemnation and they won't have to be either. The righteousness of Christ can cover them. All they need to do is respond to the convicting work of the Spirit. That's the Spirit's job. You should just go like, oh, thank you, Lord. I just have to be bold and willing to sacrifice time and energy to love people and display the gospel and then speak the gospel when it's the right time with that person. And I'll trust you, God, for the boldness in the words that's partnership with the Holy Spirit. And what's really cool, if you look in Acts, it's a great, great study. 
in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter three different times. I don't know what he means by spoke, other than I think the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter. But how did he speak? to? I'm not sure. Was it audible? Was it loud? Was it like, whoa, what? I don't know. It just says that he did. And Peter knew it was the Holy Spirit because that's what's recorded, and he obeyed. Matthew 10, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say so you don't have to worry about it when you get dragged in front of councils and this and that. Remember that when Jesus said that? The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say when you need it. Really? And I'll know that? Yeah, you'll know that. Acts 13, the Holy Spirit spoke to the prophets and teachers that were gathered together at the church in Antioch and said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I want them to do. So they did. Because the Holy Spirit spoke to them and made it really clear. Oh, Paul and Barnabas need to be sent out to share the gospel. All right, we're going to lay hands, pray for them, send them out. They knew because the Holy Spirit made it clear. Acts 16, Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia and Mysia. So instead he went down to Troas. And from Troas that night, he got a vision of a man in Macedonia calling him over to come and share the good news of God. So he did. Didn't get to go in Asia or Mysia. Don't they need to know the gospel? I don't know. Well, ask God about that. Probably came to them later. But for now, it was, no, you're not going in there. No, you're not. Go to Troas. All right. What's in Troas? <laughs> All right. Vision from God, from the Spirit. He knew he was supposed to go to Macedonia. They went to Macedonia. What do you think happened in Macedonia? Someone take a guess. People started coming to Christ. He led Lydia, the seller of purple linen, to the Lord. So she started having an impact. He um, exercised a demon from a, a, a girl who was a fortune teller, and they got really mad at that, but she was free. She wasn't mad. She was free. They lost their ability to make money off of her. They get all ticked off at them, beat them, throw them in jail, and all the rest of it. While they're in jail, what do you think they did? By the power of the Holy Spirit. They waited on God. I'm sure they were praying, probably singing songs of praise to him. God shook that prison and they were all released, all those prisoners. And the jailer knew, oh, I'm dead meat. They're going to kill me. He's about to kill himself. And Paul goes, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And he shared the gospel. The jailer comes to Christ. The jailer's family comes to Christ. And then they get chased out of the city and they move on. Is it easy to follow Christ? No. Did you think it would be? Is there the power of the Holy Spirit to confirm the truth and the words of Christ in your life? Yes. Will you be transformed into his image? Yes. Do you have an eternity that you get to look forward to? Yes. Do you have the power of the Spirit sealing you and living in you, wanting to bring about the Spirit of Christ or the, the image of Christ? Yes. And all you have to do is say, so Lord, just let me tell people about that. But give me your boldness and speak to me like these guys had. I want to know. Impress upon me, Holy Spirit. Lead me. Prevent me. Do whatever you, just lead me. That's what you did with them. Do it with me. And then Acts 9.31 will be our last verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. God will build his church in and through those of us that are willing to to cooperate with the power of his Holy Spirit and let the love of Christ and the message of Christ work through us to touch other people around us to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, just like they did to the ends of the earth. What a calling and what an invitation that is. It all starts 
by understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in you and then what he wants to do. You got it? Through you. We're going to have Jason come out and he's going to lead us in a song. We also have uh, communion to celebrate. To remember what the Lord did on the cross so that we could know him and be filled with the gift of his spirit. And so we're going to celebrate and thank him for that. And we're going to sing with grateful hearts. But I'd love for you, actually I'm going to put the, um, the review slide up there. I'd love for you to just have this in your heart as you're in prayer and in worship right now. Holy Spirit, am I fanning the flame or am I quenching or grieving you in some way? And if you feel like you are, just confess it to him. He loves you, he'll forgive you. He's already forgiven you, there's no condemnation. But then say, but Lord, now please help me to fan into flame your work in my life. The Holy Spirit gives me spiritual gifts. Lord, help me identify mine and use them to serve others in the body and to pray for others and to make sure that I ask you for boldness to share the truth of Christ with others. Whatever those those ones that God has put in your heart, pray those out to the Lord right now and ask him for his power to live it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the power and the clarity of your word, for the, this gift of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us. May you do that deep work of stirring us. May we cooperate with that work. Help us to discover our gifting, Lord, our spiritual gifts, to use them to serve others. Father, stir up a great passion for prayer in my life, even if it's not there right now, or if it is, even more for the sake of others. And Lord, may I always have a breaking heart and a burden for those that don't yet know you that live in my circle of influence. God, help me to be bold through my love and through my lips, through the words that I share with them. So Lord, receive our praise right now in our offering. We pour it out to you from a thankful heart.